0: So today is what we call Laity Sunday in the United Methodist Church. And since Pastor Glenn is gone on vacation, then the cat's away so the mice will play. But we are inviting our lay leader, Ted Smith, up to uh, um, give a sermon this morning. If you were with us, was it last week we showed the video? Don't you? So Ted Smith has earned a certificate in lay ministries, is that, in Wesleyan studies? Yes. Is that right? Okay. So he knows what he's talking about. So well, welcome up, uh, Ted Smith. Good morning. And I will try to know what I am talking about. Thankfully, this is my second time, so I get a chance to uh, have a little practice this morning with the folks who appeared. But as you know, Pastor Glenn has been discussing doctrine. And he's been discussing doctrine of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ and of God, the Trinity. And if you wondered, he talked about the Nicene Creed. He spoke about the Holy Bible. He's talked about the articles of faith that we have in the United Methodist Church. But have you ever wondered, where did these things come about? How do we get there? They just appear. And the answer is no. It was over the course of centuries a devout reading of the Torah of the Bible, a philosophy that we've come up with, the articles that we know in our doctrine that we have. So, why were? Let's talk about this a little bit. So, the doctrine came out of the fact of of persecution persecution by the Roman Empire and trying to explain who Christians are and why they should not be persecuted. It came from division within the beginning of the new church, which uh, we still have today. It came from trying to explain Christianity to the pagans, who they sought to convert and also to explain why Christianity uh, should not be persecuted. It also came, lastly, to explain the differences between Christianity and Judaism and the conflict of that. Now, as the church began in the second century, we have three what they call three great fathers of the church. And those three great fathers are, and this is how we get our doctrine. Now, I'm going to tell you as I say this, the folks who were Christians in the second and third century, they saw the development of this. They walked and talked with these individuals, and so they saw it in life and had it in the process of their church. We, as Christians, unfortunately, have gotten away from this. We have gotten away from an understanding of how the creeds and how the catechisms came about. But let's talk about this. First one, Pope Clement. Pope Clement lived around 35 A.D. to 99 A.D., He was taught Christianity by the Apostle Paul. So imagine being able to learn about Jesus from one of the apostles. He wrote the first epistle to the Corinthians in A.D. 96 based on the division in the church. And he stressed in that epistle, which you can see online, the pre-existence of Christ, the divinity of Christ, sown from the allegory from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He also speaks of the hierarchy of the church, first naming deacons and bishops who've been laid hands on by the apostles themselves, calling it apostolic succession so that they had authority in the new found church over and could not be um, removed by the congregation. There's Bishop Ignatius of Antioch. He died around AD 108. Nobody's really sure about when he was born. But he was taught by the apostle John directly. He wrote the seven epistles of Saint Ignatius on his way to martyrdom. And in it, in one of the epistles to the Ephesians, he says, sometime around AD 108, but our physician is the only true God, the the unbegotten and unapproachable, the Lord of all, the Father and begotter of the way of the only begotten Son. We, We also have a physician the Lord our God, Jesus the Christ, the only begotten Son and Word, and Word, before the before the beginning, but who afterwards became also man of Mary, the Virgin, for the Word was made flesh. Being incorporeal, he was in the body. Being impassable, he was in a passable body. Being life, He became subject to corruption that he might free our sins from death and corruption and heal them and destroy them and restore them to health, where they are deceased with unending and wicked lust. Jesus Christ is made human. He is alive through the the and eternal and invisible. He he was made visible for our sake. And tangible. This was in AD 108. Now you understand when we get the Nicene Creed and our, our other doctrine where it starts to come from. He is the first to speak of the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the unity of one body in church in the, in the, in the love and in prayer of Jesus Christ. He speaks of only having bishops and deacons being set for. Um, such things as baptism and also for the Eucharist, for the communion. He is the first to come up with the Lord's day as opposed to the Sabbath day of the Jews, which he also put in his epistles. And then lastly, there was Polycarp of Smyrna, AD 69 to AD 155. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. Smyrna, he too was a direct disciple of the Apostle John. He wrote a letter to the church of Smyrna and to Poly- Phil- Phil- Polymium, I'm sorry. And he also wrote a letter to the Philistines, or to the Philippians. He too wrote about the divinity of Christ and also the preexistence. He was there also because of the division in the church, because there was one priest by the name of Marcion, Marcion believed in only the New Testament and believed that the Old Testament was not divine and that that you did not read the two together. And his discussion was always about that you read the two together, that the allegory of the First Testament was necessary for the Christ in the New Testament. But there were others. And the fact of the matter is, the Christians back in this day knew of these individuals, read of these individuals. They wrote these epistles not only for the division, but also for the structure of the church. There were the Greek apologists. First of all, there is Aristides of Athens. He's somewhere around AD 134 uh, when he died. Nobody knows exactly when he was born either. But he writes, God is the first mover of the world who made all things from humankind. God has no name, and it's to be spoken of only in negative terms, without beginning, without end, and without composition. He's the first to take the idea of Greek philosophy with Aristotle and Plato talking about that there had to be a God because there had to be order in the world something incorporeal, something greater than all that made creation, and tying it together. Then there was Justin Martyr, who came out of that same school. He's from 100 AD to 165 AD. And he wrote a dialogue with a guy named Trifo. He also wrote two apologies. And in in his book, Dialogue with Trifo, he is talking about how he converted to Christianity. He was first a uh, learner of Platoism and found true meaning from reading the Old Testament and the New. And he's the first to bring up the term logos, the word. In seeking to explain the fourth gospel, he talks about the word, that knowledge is the word, and it was always present and pre-existent. and that the Old Testament is a prophecy of the New Testament. But unlike Clement, he says that there's actually a fact-based pattern in the Old Testament to show the pre-existence of Christ. And he talks about, for example, the Pascal lamb, meaning the blood that was put on the, the, um, the doors of the Jews in Egypt, that the saving of them for those who believed is like the crucifixion of Christ, the blood of Christ. He also talks about the fact in the celebration of the Pascal lamb by the Jews that they, they roast the lamb in celebration in the sign of the cross, which is symbolic of the passion of Christ. So he takes it and says, instead of being an allegory that it's also fact-based. But in this logos with God, he says that God begot the word so that there was a separation of God and the word. But in comes another great apologist called Athenaragus of Athens. He's around 123 A.D. to 190 A.D. He writes a plea for the Christians, which he writes to Emperor Marcus Aurelius, again, to stop the persecution because of the way Christians live. And he says to them, look, the word and God is not separate. The word and God is not separate. And here's why. He goes back to a gentleman by the name of Philo of Alexandria back in the AD 20 to 50 AD. And he says to them "And Philo of Alexandria wrote that the Torah was truly divine and was knowledge that logos and God were one. And so instead of saying that God and the word are separate, God and the word are one. They're together of the same substance. And he shows this by the fact-based pattern, for example. Lastly, you have Bishop Theopolis of Antioch. He was from 120 AD to 180 190 AD. Again, nobody knows exactly when he was born or exactly when he died. But he wrote three books to Autoclus sometime around AD 181 indicating um, his love of Christ, but also seeking to bring his friend from being a pagan into Christianity. And he is the first person to use the term Trinity. And in his works, not only does he speak of God being one, but then if God is one with the word, how does the word become expressed? And he's the first to start to say, that God is the imminent word, that all things, seen and unseen, is God. But the expressed word, the expressed word, the firstborn, as he says, of all creation, is Christ, the incarnate word. What I'm trying to tell you all is in a sort of a closing argument, like a lawyer, that when the pastor speaks of God and the doctrine that we have, that it has come over the time and of the centuries and the explanation of the Holy Trinity and of the word and how the word became expressed in, in the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit, that there was more to it than just Random statements, God is love, God is peace. I believe in the Son and the Father and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. There's more to it than that. And there's been writings and thoughts based on the Torah and on other Christian writings and of people at times of the day who were taught by the apostles on what it means to be the incarnate word, to be the trinity, And as Christians, we should seek to know this. We should seek to read it again, to understand it. Because in understanding it, it helps us bring closer to our relationship with the Lord. And not only our everyday practice, but in our love and closeness with God. God, they're saying to you, is indivisible and cannot totally be explained that man seeks to figure out a way of holding on and explaining who God is with the limited capacity that man man has. But the importance of these apologetics cannot be disregarded. Soon we're gonna have a new denomination. And in that new denomination, Being a member of the WCA Global Council, the conversation has always been and will be about bringing the creeds and bringing these works back so that people have an understanding of God and have an understanding of the Trinity and have an understanding of our relationship with God, not only philosophically but morally, too, in how we dictate and run our lives. These individuals, like Clement, are important to us. And we must not forget them, but we also must adopt them into our church and into our daily practice and into our reading, not only of just the Bible, but of their interpretation of the word. I will leave you with this. This answer was not only done then. It wasn't only done then. Let me tell you that in the fourth century, there was Saint Augustine. Saint Augustine sought to explain the Trinity by saying that man himself was imbued with a piece of the Trinity, because we were made in the image of God. And he succinctly said it like this. In our minds, we have memory will, and understanding, three distinct things, but all in unison in the mind, cannot be severed from, cannot be cut out from one portion of the brain or the other, it's in unison, but distinct. I will also leave you with this. When we talked about this morning and we read Genesis 1, if you noticed, it said us in the creation of the world. Hold on a second. Technology must come up. The idea of, of us is not one. Other interpretations say we, and that means more than one. So we know by allegory that in the Bible, that in the Torah, that in the Old Testament, God was more than one. And I will read this to you from Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared to him, meaning Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring the morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and there you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, So they said, Do, you, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. We'll read on. But by allegory and by direction, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost have existed from the very beginning, three in one. And Augustine, Clement, and Aristides, all of these great apologetics, all of these individuals seeking to explain the Old Testament to the New Testament, divinity of Christ the holiness of our church and our straight belief please as you go forward love the Lord pray know that God is everywhere in everything he is logos he is the Word made flesh but he is creator of all things When they said he made man, and Jesus said I was the son of man, he's talking about the creation of all things. Those who know, pray, and seek the understanding of the Lord, the understanding of God, which is almost impossible, but with some understanding. I pray we go forward and as as a church that we live in the depth and knowledge of our love and faith each and every day. God bless you all.